This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried The Alcohol Experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. And I'm here with Kim. Welcome, Kim. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's so good to have you. So why don't you sort of take us back to the beginning? Where where did it all start for you with alcohol? Okay. Um, well, my drinking um, started when I was about 15. Um, and this was back around 2001 ish. And I should mention that, um, my drinking and my, um, distorted eating behaviors kind of developed around the same time. Um, I've always been, uh, an anxious person, um, anxious child and everything, although we didn't really realize at the time. Um, and I've always kind of suffered from low self-esteem and, you know, uh, lack of self-worth and everything. But, you know, as a kid and as a teenager, I didn't really, I just thought it was normal, you know, um, these feelings. Um, and then also around that time as well, uh, my family life really started to become a lot more chaotic. Um, my parents had divorced a few years prior to that. And I mean, it was amicable divorce. Everything was, you know, okay. Um, but I had a really stagnant relationship with my father. It wasn't bad, just very, um, underdeveloped, I guess we just, there wasn't really, you know, um, and then my mom and I were always close, but she, um, got into a new relationship at the same time with, a uh, with a man, um, and it'd gone for eight years. It was a very toxic relationship back and forth, a lot of breakups, you know, things like that. Um, and it just basically the combination of those two things just kind of turned our household into, you know, chaos and turmoil. Um, I had very little lack of parental guidance. Um, and, uh, I'm the oldest of three, um, so I kind of, a lot of things kind of like fell on my shoulders at that time um, as well. We, I was never really taught how to like deal with emotions, deal with stress, um, any issues that arose, you know, in our family was kind of just like brushed under the rug, not really talked about. Um, and then, um, yeah. So anyways, um, I grew up in Northwest Indiana and um, drinking just kind of was something that my crowd, you know, did. Um, it wasn't anything, you know, different. Um, it was drinking. And then this is also the same time that, um, opioids, um, kind of started, you know, surfacing as well in the early two thousands. I never got into that. Um, although a lot of people close to me did. Um, and so, um, alcohol was always just my crutch. It was just, you know, something that I gravitated towards. Um, I was kind of shy. So it loosened me up a little bit. I felt less awkward in social situations and it pretty much just numbed me from, feeling anything. Um, and then in regards to the, you know, the distorted eating that was now, now I can look back and know that that was more of a means of control when my life, you know, felt very out of control. Um, and these two behaviors along with some other, you know, negative coping mechanisms of, you know, self, self self-sabotage, things like that, um, or just behaviors that I held on to, um, 
throughout adulthood because I never, you know, really learned how to deal with them. Um, when it comes to drinking, I think it was viewed in my household as just like normal teenage behavior. My, neither one of my parents came from a background where they struggled with, um, you know, drinking or anything like that, but it was very normalized in my family. Um, you know, um, family parties, you know, things like that. And, um, so yeah. And then I was, you know, uh, I, I got decent grades. Um, I, you know, had a long-term boyfriend. Um, I had, you know, friends that just from the outside, everything looked okay. So there was really no red flags, um, on that end. Um, when I was 19, um, so this is, you know, shortly after I graduated high school and I was in college, which those are my floundering years. Um, I was introduced to Adderall and um, Adderall is very prominent, you know, in the um, high school and college settings. And um, that's kind of when my drinking really started, my drinking and my eating disorders really started um, taking off. Um, I didn't realize how toxic at the time that uh, Adderall was, um, especially, well, I mean, when you combine it with alcohol or any, you know, other substances, um, I was never, never formally diagnosed with ADD or ADHD. Um, it was honestly just went to my family doctor because I heard about it from some friends and said I couldn't concentrate and I was, I was, you know, prescribed it. So I was legally prescribed it, but I was definitely abusing it and misusing it. And that in conjunction with, um, you know, it suppresses your appetite. So it's, uh, it can be, you know, looked at as like a, a diet, diet supplement, um, as you know, well, and that led to a lot of restriction during the day, um, drinking a lot of caffeine and then turning to alcohol at night to kind of like, try to like wind down or continue part partying, um, later into the night. And, um, like I said, I didn't know all of the, um, really toxic side effects of it, you know, low, low blood pressure, um, increased heart attack or increased risk of heart attack and stroke, just really abnormal behavioral issues. Um, I had a lot of trouble sleeping. I had a lot of paranoia, um, just very agitated and very flaky. And, um, this cycle, uh, went on for, well, when I was 19 and I was finally able to get off it when I was 25, but it was just like, I was running in circles. Um, and I, I, I just, I was failing in and out of school. Um, I was working part-time um, or, you know, working full-time or part-time and then going to school full-time or part-time, but um, failing out of a lot of semesters, I would, you know, drop out if I knew I was going to fail, um, you know, things like that. And no one really ever, you know, questioned me. Um, they just kind of thought I was floundering. Um, a lot of times in my family, they thought that, you know, this is the time in your life where, um, you know, it's okay to make mistakes and, um, that, you know, I'll eventually figure it out, but I don't think that's always good advice because sometimes you just, you know, really don't figure it out and you, you actually need some guidance. Um, I also, this is when I also started really, um, hiding my drinking. Um, vodka was my drink of choice. And, um, I mean, I would joke about it back then, but I would have like water bottles of vodka with like a little star on top of it. And, um, that's what I would kind of keep in my bag. I mean, sometimes I'd be drinking during class, um, at work. Um, and it was always just, you know, like sipping. So I was always just like at a constant, you know, um, but it was just, there were, there was no progress in my life. I was severely depressed, you know, had bad anxiety and 
the whole time that this was going on, I never really thought about alcohol being, you know, the culprit of it, of it all. And I mean, obviously I know that there's other mental health issues that go along with it, you know, anxiety, depression, things like that. But, um, it was just so normalized. Um, and like everyone, everyone else was drinking. And I also, because I had friends that were dabbling, you know, or, you know, um, struggling with, um, you know, drugs, I kind of thought because alcohol was legal, like, it was better and you know, in some way it was, you know, less, yeah, it was better in some way. Um, I was in a long-term relationship, um, with my high school boyfriend during this time as well. And, um, he didn't, you know, struggle with the Adderall or anything, but like he, he did drink and it was just never really, never really, you know, a problem with us or anything like that. Um, and then, uh, that relationship started going downhill, you know, as we entered our, early twenties, you know, we were just like growing apart, wanted different things. Um, and then that ended when I was about 23. And then I met my now husband when I was 24 and, um, he was completely different. He's never struggled with, um, with alcohol or, or anything like that, but he's also not one to really understand mental health issues or, um, you know, addiction. But at the time I didn't really, I didn't think I was, you know, was addicted or anything like that. Um, I was still taking Adderall at this time, very, very flaky. Um, and about a year into the relationship, I was, after many attempts, I was finally able to get off the Adderall. Um, and at that time was my first bout of sobriety because I've had a few other bouts of sobriety in the past. And, um, it was just kind of at the point in my life where, um, I, knew something needed to change. Um, we were at a turning point in our point in our relationship. He was, um, going to school, but he, he had graduated and he was going, um, he was prior enlisted in the military and he was going to go back in the um, military, um, as an officer. So he went away to officer candidate school. And I, I kind of knew like, if I'm going to, you know, be with this guy, like I, I have to change my behavior. And I also, um, I, I don't know, I was just kind of ready, but there was always a means to an end when I had my other bouts of sobriety. It wasn't because like, I wanted to, I mean, I, I did, but it was, I wanted to, because I knew I needed to graduate college. I knew that if I would, this relationship was going to work, like I needed to change my behavior, like stuff like that. So, um, I was able to, you know, get off the Adderall after, you know, um, weaning myself off and, 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 and things like that. Um, and I did stop drinking. Um, I think it was about six months. Um, and that was my longest, you know, uh, bout of sobriety at, at that point. Um, and I didn't have any, you know, any, any withdrawals or anything like that, that at that time, um, I went back to school. This was during the summer, um, of 2011. And, um, I, I mean that this should have been like a indicator right there, but like I was, I got on the Dean's list like that fall, I got, you know, straight A's rather than failing out. And my relationship with, you know, my family started improving. I started feeling better about myself. I, um, my eating disorder behaviors, um, pretty much, you know, seized during that time, because when I was on the Adderall, like I said, there was a lot of restriction, but then, um, a lot of like binging when I, you know, was hungover or, you know, and, and things like that. So, um, I was able to, um, you know, overcome that, although I never dug into those issues, you know, it was just like, just, I just like stopped. Um, the spring of 2012, things started, you know, still got better. I was back to drinking again, but I was moderating. Um, and um, I guess I did an okay job moderating, but it, it was very hard for me. I never saw the point of just having one drink. Um, 
I, I just, I just didn't see the point of it. If I was having one drink, I always wanted to know like when the next one was going to be. Um, but I was, I was able to do it. So I also thought because I'd stopped for so long that, you know, I was okay. And then I, you know, I didn't have a problem or anything like that. Um, we ended up getting married the following year in 2000, uh, June, 2012. Um, and then he was assigned his first duty station, um, in El Paso, Texas. So, I needed to finish school. Um, I had about a year and a half left and um, I moved out there with him um, and I just finished, you know, I was a full-time student and um, things were, things were okay. I um, didn't have my eating disorder behaviors were um, pretty much non-existent um, during that time, as far as like restriction and, and binging goes. However, I did start working out um, excessively, um, but that was, the time that a lot of like, um, like, I don't know what they're called, but like influencers and stuff like that on Instagram, you know what I mean? Started posting their workouts and stuff like that. So I thought yeah. that was just normal too. You know, I started running yeah. and like, um, you know, so it's like, I, I took, you know, uh, one, you know, bad, you know, behavior and just compensated it with something else. So, um, I was still moderating during that time. And then in 2013, um, July of 2013, um, but year after we were married, I got pregnant and I ended up having a mis miscarriage um, when I was, it was about uh, 14, 14, 15 weeks pregnant. So, um, and that was in the middle of a, my last semester in college because I, it was September that we lost the baby. Um, that kind of is what started spiraling me out of control um, during that time is after, you know, uh, I had the DNC. Um, and I was able to start drinking again. Um, I definitely did. And that's when the binging really, um, started again, I would be okay during the week. Um, you know, have my rules moderate, except on the weekends, um, I would drink. And I should also note that like when I would drink, it was always, I was always a binge drinker. Um, like I, I couldn't just have one in blackouts or brownouts, um, where I would remember some things, but not everything were super common. Um, and I honestly just thought that was normal for years up until a couple of years ago. And, you know, people were like, no, I don't black out all the time. And I'm like, you know, um, and, um, I ended up graduating from college that year, um, in December, um, with honors and everything like that. But we were in El Paso and I had a really difficult time finding a job. I'm not bilingual. Um, I ended up taking a few more college courses to get some certificates um, shortly after I graduated, um, but the cycle still continued. Um, we started trying for another baby pretty much right away. Um, and without, um, we weren't successful or, or anything like that. So about, I don't know, four to five months in, my doctor started, we started doing some fertility testing. Um, and, um, she wanted me to be put on some, uh, you know, medications to induce, um, ovulation and, and stuff like that. So we started fertility treatments and then my husband, um, and that was like all spring long, um, of 2014. And then my husband came home in July, one day from work and said he was deploying and he was leaving within 10 days. So, um, that was our first deployment together. And, um, I was, you know, obviously devastated. I was a new, you know, military spouse and a uh, place, you know, that I, I didn't really, you know, know where I was living and, you know, no family around. Um, we were in the middle of fertility treatments and a lot of my, you know, friends at the time were um, getting pregnant and having babies and growing their families. And um, when he left, um, I 
took advantage of that. And I, when I wasn't working, because at this time I ended up finding a job. Um, when I wasn't working, I was drinking. Um, and uh, I never drank on the job or, any, or anything there, but I mean, that's pretty much like what I would schedule my life around is when I was able to drink. And um, this went on for 10 months because he got back the following May. Um, and no one really noticed. I mean, I wasn't living around family. Um, I was very good with um, being, I mean, there was a few instances where I got myself in you know, trouble or you know, would wake up in the morning and be like, oh my gosh, did I post anything on Facebook? Did, you know, any, anything like that. Um, but I, I wouldn't, um, make any phone calls. I would, tr you know, try not to text when I was drinking. So no one would know. Um, and I was very discreet, you know, and, and, and that area, um, he ended up coming home, um, in May of, you know, 2015, we went back to, um, doing, you know, some fertility treatments. And then the doctor ended up telling us that IVF would be the best route for us. Um, we have male and infertility, uh, or male and female fertility factors. So um, we ended up, uh, our IVF was scheduled to start in October of 2015. And I ended up getting pregnant um, naturally the month before. And um, now we have our daughter, five-year-old daughter. Um, so um, during that time, thank you. It was, I mean, I hate saying it, but I mean, it, it was a miracle. Um, I didn't have any issues not drinking while I was pregnant, but the morning I got a positive pregnancy test, my husband was in the field at the time I was hungover, you know? Um, I mean, I remember I took a test a few days before because, you know, being, um, going through, through fertility treatments, which like, obviously I know that drinking can affect your fertility, but I didn't want to believe it. And because it was more of a male factor that we had rather than female, um, I, kind of just took advantage of that. Um, but I mean, I, I, I took a pregnancy test and then, um, a few days before, because I knew that I was going to have a few off days, you know, coming up and it, it was negative. So I was like, you know, uh, okay. And then, um, the morning that I, um, ended up getting a positive test, I was, I'll just never forget that. I was so hungover and then I'm Googling, you know, things and, and, um, and anyways, so, um, she was born May of 2016, and um, I didn't go back to drinking right away. I was very sickly. I was diagnosed with hyperemesis um, uh, with her, so I was very sick most of the pregnancy. Um, and then after I had her, um, I I didn't you know go back to drinking right away. Um, I didn't really you know think about it, but once I did, um, it was like the floodgates were open and I realized like my tolerance was a lot lower so I could drink a lot less and feel it more. And, um, this is when she was a couple months old and just, you know, like always, um, you know, it's just, it was very hard for me just to have one. Um, and, uh, I had stopped breastfeeding when she was a couple months old. Um, and, uh, it was, you know, I was moderating, but it was very difficult for me, you know, to moderate. Um, and then, um, this went on for several months, um, up until she was, it was shortly before her first birthday. And then it, I started drinking more heavily again. We were living in Arizona at that time. Um, and then we moved to, um, sorry, we moved to Alabama. Um, and during that time, you know, it was just a really, you know, big transition and we were closer to family. Um, like I said, we're from Northwest Indiana. So we were about nine hours away from home. 
Um, I was able to visit family, you know, more often for long weekends or, you know, cause it was drivable. And, um, when I would visit my family, it was just kind of like a free for all because I had a baby, you know, if I had babysitters around, I never had babysitters, you know, and, um, you know, uh, they would see me, they, they knew they've always kind of known, they've known that I, you know, I don't know if they knew that I had like a problem like years before that, but they knew that I liked to drink a lot. They, you know, they knew how, who I was, but I think it was just kind of like accepted, you know, like that's how, that's how Kim is. And they also, I think, I don't know if they like felt bad, but they knew that I didn't have, um, you know, many, you know, resources being a military spouse living by myself. So when I did come home, I guess maybe I got like free pass or something from them to, to drink as much as I did. Um, but we did, um, have a family event when my daughter was about a year old and I mean, nothing, you know, um, super significant happened, but there was kind of a, you know, some arguments, um, and it was kind of just like my second revelation. And when my second bout of sobriety, um, started, um, you know, surfacing as I, I realized, all right, like I, I need to get this together. We had like just moved to Alabama and my husband's job was going to entail him to be traveling a lot, which meant that I would be with my daughter, um, you know, alone most of the time. And, um, I, like I said, I, there was always a means to an end. So this one was that like, my husband was going to be gone a lot. I didn't have any, you know, help. And I, I knew how I, at that point had gotten, like, I knew how I drink. I knew I liked to drink a lot. And, um, so we, um, that went on for even longer that, that bout of sobriety went on about a year. And during that time, um, I opened an Etsy shop. I mean, I did a lot of things to like keep myself busy being, you know, a, a stay at home mom. I opened an Etsy shop. Um, I made like flower crowns and, you know, um, handmade, you know, floral grapevine wreaths and stuff like that. I did some freelance work. I ended up getting some part-time, um, work, uh, with a local professional organizer. Um, and that was that I loved doing that when my daughter was at mom's morning out and, and stuff like that. So, um, it just like, I ended up like getting really good grades and excelling at school the first time around the second time around, you know, I was doing a lot of things that filled my, you know, filled me and, um, with, you know, these part-time jobs and things like that. And my also, um, my eating issues also declined during that, that time. Cause I didn't go back to, um, you know, like binging and purging and, and stuff like that, but I was very much still in my, um, addictive exercise phase and stuff like that. And, you know, a lot of, you know, kind of like restriction, but, um, you know, limited, limiting portion sizes and, and stuff like that. So, um, that went on about a year and then we ended up moving to Colorado in, um, let's see, February of 2019. And that's kind of when, um, things really started going downhill. I started drinking before that, um, again, and, um, it was just like, um, it would, it, it, it was like just as bad as it was when I was, you know, like, a, you know, in my, um, early college days, um, I really started hiding the alcohol then. Um, and I always kind of hid it for my husband. Um, I mean, I would buy, uh, I'd buy, you know, jugs of, you know, vodka, and then I'd put them in water bottles and hide them, you know, throughout the house and, you know, storage bins or, you know, the garage and, you know, and stuff like that. And even when we moved, when I was pregnant with my daughter, I mean, I'll never forget we were packing and we found some of them and I had for completely forgotten about them, you know, and, 
Um, I started going back to that type of behavior where, you know, I, I would buy the alcohol with cash, you know, I'd go to target and take out an extra 20 bucks or 40 bucks or whatever. And so there was no trace of it. Um, you know, I would go to different liquor stores. So, I mean, I thought that maybe someone would, you know, recognize me, but I, I don't know, you know, you know, things like that. And, um, these, these behaviors really started intensifying during this time. And, um, you know, my husband has always been, um, a bit, been able to moderate and yes, I mean, he would see me having, you know, a drink with him, but then I'd always have, um, a vodka water bottle, you know, hidden in my, in my closet or somewhere when I'd be like, well, I'm going to go to the bathroom or, you know, I need to go wash my face at the end of the night. And I'd always have something somewhere to sip on, to have more, um, when we moved to Colorado, um, I decided to, um, do my own professional organizing business. And I, I started that, but being a military spouse and coming to, you know, a, a different state, not knowing anyone, um, having no connections. I mean, it was really, really difficult. Um, and I just kind of took on more than I should have, or I, you know, really needed to, um, at that time. And he was gone a lot for school. Um, whereas before when he was gone, um, I knew that like, I needed to like step it up, you know, with my daughter, but she was also older now. And, um, now I looked at it more as like, kind of like a relief. He was, he was gone. Um, then I didn't have to hide it. You know, there was no one that I had to hide anything from. I mean, I wasn't, my daughter didn't see me directly drinking, you know what I mean? But I didn't have to hide my behavior or, when he said he was coming home from work, I didn't have to like brush my teeth or try to like hide it on my breath or, you know, anything like that. So, um, I really started, I knew then like, okay, this is like more than just like me enjoying drinking. Like a lot of my drinking was done alone. Um, we went to, you know, a lot of work events for my husband and, um, I was always okay with moderating then I could have one or two. I mean, I didn't want to, but I was able to, my drinking was always, you know, I was a closet binge drinker. That's what it was. And I didn't want anyone to know my secrets. Um, I also know that like the anticipation of the drink was always, um, and I know it was like, now I know it's like a, a rush of dopamine. And I've heard this from other people saying that the anticipation of having a drink is uh, not better, but like, is what like keeps you kind of like going. Is that like, I just would schedule my days around drinking um, you know, events that we'd had. And I would be so excited, like almost like giddy, like knowing that I'd be able to like drink that afternoon or, or whatever. And, um, around this time, I also started like getting really involved in, um, non-toxic living and more holistic living. And so I was changing over, you know, our skincare and our, you know, um, household products and stuff like that. And I was so concerned about like not ingesting, you know, pesticides and, you know, not using certain products and everything like that. But I was like literally consuming a carcinogen every single day. Um, and, um, around April is when I, um, knew something needed to change. Um, my best friend, um, from middle school has suffered from, um, opioid addiction, um, since we were, since we were teens and she's, you know, been in and out of, of rehab and, and stuff like that. And she was in rehab during this time. And, um, and same with my, my little brother has also struggled with it as well. Um, and, uh, she told me something a long time ago that said, she said something along the lines is like, 
nothing's going to change if you keep doing the same things that you're doing, because we would talk like, she was the only one that really knew how much I struggled. Um, and obviously we had like that commonality of, you know, hers was drugs. Mine was alcohol. She'd say, she'd tell me, she's like, Kim, it's honestly like no different. I mean, it's, it's, you're, you have an addiction, but I, I refuse to believe it. But anyways, I knew that something had to change and I couldn't just like keep stopping. Like I was, I, you know, I, something had to change. And long story short, I ended up, um, going on Facebook and finding some groups and, um, doing some Instagram hashtag searches. And that's when I ended up finding the snake in mind. And I was just like completely like enthralled by this whole idea and, you know, of everything. And I ended up um, watching a webinar that you had. Um, and I was still drinking during this time. Um, but I decided to order the book and, um, I would skim the book on, on days that, you know, I wasn't, you know, drinking or anything like that, but I was, you know, so I was kind of like open to like change, but I wasn't, I wasn't there yet. Um, and that was, you know, April, May-ish of, you know, so I was kind of holding on, you know, a um, couple steps in, but, um, that summer I went to visit my, my friend, um, when she got out of rehab, um, and it, I would just went by myself and, uh, we talked a lot about, you know, just, you know, things that she's, you know, thought about over the years. And she did tell me that like, um, being accountable is, is so important. And, um, actually like saying it out loud, not just to like, you know, ourselves and stuff like that, that we need to change and actually opening up and like telling our, you know, deepest secrets. It's one thing to say that, yeah, I have a drinking problem or, you know, uh, something needs to change, but another thing to actually be like specific with, you know, behaviors that I was doing, you know, um, hiding it and, you know, using cash and things like that. And, um, I kept that in mind. Um, but, but I still wasn't ready. I still wasn't ready to change. Um, that was kind of like the first, the first thing that happened that summer that really started like adding fuel to the fire. The second one was, um, well, my husband ended up leaving for six weeks, um, to go to a, a training. And during that time is, um, I, my drinking was at an all time high. If I wasn't drinking, I was too hungover. Um, my days with my daughter, um, you know, were scheduled around drinking, you know, I would have my morning routine, you know, stuff like that, you know, uh, cleaning, I would make sure I'd make dinner early in the day. So if I was drinking kind of in the afternoon, like I wouldn't, it wouldn't be a, a burden or I wouldn't have to worry about like leaving the stove on or something like that. Like it was all these just like rules that I had. Yeah. And, um, that went on all of August. He came back early, like the, I don't know, last week of August, early September. And we ended up having a family, um, intervention, um, phone intervention. Cause I'm, you know, here in Colorado, um, with my brother, um, he had a relapse with, um, where we thought he did with, uh, opioids. And, uh, you know, I was on the phone, we were on the phone with, you know, um, my immediate family and like an interventionist and, and stuff like that. And, um, I was sitting there like begging my parents to send my brother to rehab because I firmly believed he needed inpatient rehab. And at the same time, I was sitting there drinking a cocktail, um, pretty much all vodka, you know, and going back and forth, you know, cause my husband was out there with me and going back and forth and taking, you know, swigs of vodka secretly. And by the time the conversation, you know, ended at the end of the night, like I don't really, I didn't really remember it. And, um, I remember waking up the next morning, you know, thinking like, how can I sit here, you know, begging to have my you know, little brother, you know, get this help that he needs, but I'm, 
I'm literally just, you know, drinking, you know, it's, it was just, it was so hypocritical. And I just, so that was like, kind of like the second thing Mm -hmm. that summer that kind of added fuel to the fire. Um, and that's honestly like when I started, I'm like, all right, I, I need something needs to you know, happen. I need to, you know, and I, and I started reading the book and then I realized that there was a podcast to go along with the snake in mind. And that opened so many doors. I ended up finding the, within a matter of just like a week or two, I ended up finding the sober community on Instagram and I'm not a huge social media person, but I've never done, you searched a hashtag before in my life, but that's, and I was like, Oh, there's like certain hashtags you can search to like find people that are, you know, like me. And, um, there's just like such a negative stigma towards, you know, towards it, you know, drinking and everything. It's like one or the other, you know, extreme. And I realized there was just like this whole gray area between that. I didn't, I had no idea about. Um, so that's, yeah. My mom, my mom ended up flying in on September, uh, mid September, we went on a marriage retreat, like September 10th or 11th, something like that here locally in Colorado. Um, and, um, I was reading this naked mind, but we, I don't know what, I, I don't even know what happened. We ended up, my husband and I ended up drinking. I went overboard and then, um, I was super hungover the day that we had to go to the marriage retreat. And it was like 5 PM that we went. I mean, I was just like, and that's, I will never forget, like I ended up reaching out to a sober, um, we still keep in touch, sober coach. And I didn't know those existed either um, on Facebook or I don't know what it was um, and asking, you know, for help. And that was the first time I actually posted in like a, a Facebook group as well, um, you know, sharing my struggles. And I couldn't believe the feedback that I got from, um, you know, people that, were just like me and so non, you know, judgmental and everything. And, um, my mom ended up flying in a couple of days later. Um, we went to, um, I had a fertility appointment and I was still on fertility medications, you know, timing my cycle, you know, drinking, not trying not to drink during the two week wait, you know, all of this. Um, but at the, at the doctor's appointment, they ended up telling us, you know, we really think that you guys need to IVF, but we are going to try to do some, you know, injections. And so when we moved from, cause I was doing all oral medications at that time, um, to induce ovulation and, um, you know, produce more follicles. Um, when we moved to the injections, I knew that was like big time and injections cost a lot of money. So, um, I knew the following month that that was like it, like I, I couldn't drink at all when I was on this medication. I did not want to ruin my chances. Um, even though you're, you're not supposed to drink for like months prior because it it can affect your aid quality. It's just, um, but anyways, that night was kind of like, that was my, my, that's how I validated drinking is that my mom's in town. This is going to be, you know, my last time I know next month, I'm not going to be able to drink anymore. So, um, I went all in that night. I completely blacked out. And then the next morning we had a, a tea at a castle here in Colorado Springs with my daughter and my mom. And I was so hung over that day. Like I, I so hung over that day and you can just see to my face, how bloated my, you know, faces and the pictures and stuff. And af- that afternoon when we ended up coming home from the um, tea, um, I don't know how it happened, but I ended up changing clothes and my mom and I, um, my, my daughter was taking a nap and um, we ended up, uh, we're sitting on the living room floor and it just like came out. Um, you know, I told her, you know, she knew that I had issues with drinking, but didn't know the extent of it. And I just mm. kind of told her everything. And um, 
I love my husband, but like I said, he was, and he's heard me say it a million times. Oh, I'm done drinking when I was so hungover. I'm never drinking again, right. but he's also never, <laughs> he's, I mean, he's, wouldn't believe me if I told me to be like, all right, okay. Yeah. But, um, he just has never really experienced anyone that has had a drinking problem because he doesn't know how someone can't not, not moderate, you know? Um, I don't know. So anyways, um, that was my day one is September 17th, 2019. Um, and, uh, I mean, this is the longest I've ever gone without a drink. It's been two and a half years and it just honestly is, you know, silly as it sounds, it just keeps getting better. And, um, your podcast helped me so much at the beginning. I mean, I, I listened to it every single day, other people's stories and just your little tidbits. And I've read the book so many times and I refer back to it. I've referred my family and friends to it. And, um, you speaking so openly about it has enabled me to um, be more confident in my story as, as time has gone on. Um, and so anyways, I just want to thank you for that. Oh, that's so awesome, Kim. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. I, I relate to so many parts of your stories, especially how after pregnancy, um, even if the pregnancy didn't come to term, how the drinking increases because even mm -hmm. that sense of deprivation that you can't do it, um, whether you're on, you know, the fertility drugs and you're trying to abstain for that or whether you're actually pregnant or whatever the case is, it's like, it just comes back and it's, it's such a rebound effect. And I remember just noticing that in my own journey thinking, gosh, I was so miserable when I was not drinking for pregnancy related reasons. And so I, I assumed that that was just how it was, but I didn't realize that yeah. I was trying not to drink something that I thought was the end all be all best thing ever. And I was totally in this state of deprivation and it doesn't have to be like that at all. Like mm -hmm. you don't have to feel completely deprived when you can approach it differently. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I've also noticed, um, you know, since obviously, you know, being alcohol free, um, and as time has gone on, like the, um, like mommy wine culture, you know, for example, and I never even knew that was a thing like years ago, yeah. you know, and, uh, I mean, it's just, it's just everywhere. And, um, I mean, I know that I've never said like, I don't, you know, I've never blamed my drinking on my, you know, my daughter or anything like that. Um, and I don't know if it's, you know, maybe struggling with, you know, infertility has made me view things a little bit differently, you know, and we also, you know, only have one child. I don't have, you know, multiple kids that, you know, you know, but, um, how, just how prominent it is. And I mean, obviously we talk about this in the book and everything, but, um, you know, normalized, you know, it's society, like, especially among moms and on social media and, oh my gosh, you know? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. And I mean, sometimes I see things in the media and I'm like, oh, it's losing its clench a little bit. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, don't, we're still really deep. Into yeah. It. It kind of goes back and forth, but Right. Especially around the holidays. I've noticed, yeah. it, you know, picks up around the, you know, that time. So for sure, everybody's dealing with the stress. Um, so let me ask you, Kim, the question that I kind of finished these off with, which is if you were going to go back in time to Kim, who is, you know, experiencing these terrible hangovers during points in her life where she should have been really enjoying those moments and, you know, just talk to her about um, what life is like for you now, what would you say? Um, See, I just, I honestly, I was never really ready to, you know, stop drinking. And, um, I, 
think that it's so important to, you know, realize that we're always quick to say because alcohol is so normalized that, you know, we know none of us want to believe that alcohol is the problem. We want to blame it on something else, you know, something that's, you know, wrong with us, you know, internally or, you know, family or, you know, job, you know, any sort of life stressors, you know, things like that. And that's, that's what I always did. I always wanted to blame it on everything else. You know, why I was the way I was. And I never, and I'm not saying that what my life automatically, you know, became so much better once I stopped drinking, but I was able to dig into other, other parts of myself once I was able to finally, you know, free myself from drinking. And I mean, it wasn't easy. I struggled for a very long time at the beginning and I sometimes still struggle with triggers, you know? Um, but I would just go back and tell her that, you know, obviously it's going to be okay, but, uh, you know, the drinking is definitely contributing to, you know, your anxiety, your depression, your um, lack of self-worth, lack of self-confidence, your accomplishments in life or lack, you know, thereof, um, you know, issues in your marriage. It's just, it's just a filtering effect. And, um, I guess I would also go back and tell her to read the snake in mind sooner. <laughs> That's awesome. Yay. That's so cool. I love that so much. Oh, wow. Is there anything else you want to add in or? Um, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think that's it. Um, I mean, I just want, I guess I, the last thing would just be that there's a lot of, you know, with, um, drinking, there's a lot of, um, co-addictions I've noticed. Um, I am going back to school to get my master's in public health, something I never thought I would do because I didn't even think I would graduate college. Um, and I start in a couple of days. So I'm really excited about that. And I really hope to focus in on well, behavioral health is my concentration and get into, um, alcohol and, you know, drug recovery, um, as well as eating disorders and just see the overlap between this, you know, these areas and, um, just, uh, I guess if, if you're a parent and you're watching this um, and you have kids, just be open with them. And if, if you see any signs, talk to them. Don't brush things under the rug, you know? Yeah. I love that so much. And congratulations. That sounds like a super exciting new chapter. So thanks. Awesome. Thanks. Well, thank you so much, Kim. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story. It was really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, it's Annie Grace. I want to tell you about the most important book that I never wrote. And I mean that. This is This Naked Life. It's 48 true stories of people finding freedom from alcohol. And it's so inspiring. It's our stories, as you know from this podcast, that truly change us, that revolutionize what we believe is possible for ourselves. So it's This Naked Life. You can find it on Amazon or check it out online. Even download it 100% free at nakedlifestories.com. And every single copy that you buy, all the proceeds are 100% committed to keeping the alcohol experiment forever free for anybody who needs it. So check it out. It's such an inspirational book. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.